0: what's going on e? E? e e morning hi carly hello well this is a, this has been a good weekend we've uh, if you don't know if you're visiting with us or if you weren't there yesterday we are in our new year's workshop weekend and yeah whoop whoop is correct it was a great time yesterday because because we together you guys is what made it great we put the work in workshop We were doing stuff together. There was possibly even some suggested homework, too. And so I was talking about it this morning. I'm like, yeah, I know. It's ironic that I would give out the homework. And I'm like, yeah, I still got to do it. (laughs) And so (laughs) but um, the, the theme of this month, the focus of the messages and the workshop has been renewed vision. Yeah? Do you guys remember the two sessions yesterday? What they were about. Yes. I know this is like the worst thing you can do to people is like put them on blast and be like, "Remember this word." But what was the first session about? What do you guys recall? A renewed vision of unity. 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 And then we had a we did some awesome work in there. Ken gave a great uh, charge in that. We did some good work together. And then session two. Do you guys remember the name of session two? This is, us. This is a, you guys watch a lot of TV. Okay. This is us, it's remembering who we are, because I don't know about you, and I think actually after that workshop, we can say together, with everything that's been happening the past few years, we need to remember who we are. And not just in the vague sense, like, remember who you are, Simba, but like, <laughs> us, you and me, together, the Wichita Church of Christ, we need to remember who we are, and, and that process of remembrance, it, it might take some time because a lot has happened. Today, we're talking about renewed vision, and today's title is just called Look. We're going to look. Look. John chapter 20. If you can open your Bible there. Um, We're going to be in John 20. There's one story I want to focus on as I was studying this, and I'm like, and I'm doing my thing like, well, is there any way I can get around not reading the whole chapter? I, guys, I, tell, I really tried to make that argument, but we're going to read the whole chapter. <laughs> we just can't not read the whole chapter, chapter 20, okay? So um, we'll, we'll do that here in a second. But I, I wanna start us off with a line of thinking here. And I know in even saying these words, it may be a trigger to some of us in here because we all come from different places. Um, I'm going to engage in pandemic speak with you guys. I think that's something that's a part of the reality we're gonna have to accept as pandemic speak using language or phraseology that we've adopted over the past couple years in order to recover and respond um, I think the reality is, um, and, and something we should be talking about more is transition into post-pandemic living. Um, we're still in a pandemic, and we're transitioning into a post-pandemic uh, situation. That's a global thing, yeah. Yeah. and I think at this point you really can't can't argue. You know, the the pandemic has really it's fundamentally altered our way of living. I don't think you can really argue against that, and so. Uh, I think it's pretty clear in the past couple years, it's brought to surface some of our beliefs, some of our emotions, some of our perceptions about the world, about each other, about our surroundings, about God, even. Some of our, for some of us, some of our core values and beliefs might have been challenged in the past couple years, or even shifted or altered. Now it's time for us to start unpacking those things. Right. Yes? Yes. Those are the words we don't want to hear. You know, as we possibly started to fix our eyes on things other than Jesus, our vision and perceptions changed. Now we as a community are remembering who we are and remembering who God is, and we're going to him. We've been going to him, asking him for renewed vision. Amen? Amen. Because that's what we can do. We can ask him. We can go to him. How we respond right now matters. It really does. We must create space for those here in this room in our community that need empathy, that need grace, that need support in unpacking those challenging things. And that includes, it really should start with ourselves, giving yourself grace, giving yourself that time to seek support, amen? I think you can look at 1 Peter 3.8 and the way we should interact with one another, being tenderhearted, being completely humble, giving grace. And I, I, would, I do believe without this post-pandemic reflection and seeking renewal, we're going to end up living in a pre-pandemic denial. So let's dive in to scripture. Let's look through God's eyes. Let's, let's hear. Yes? yes? Look. Big question today. In times of doubt or distress, where do you look to? Where do you look to? You know, John 20, it's, it, John displays how people that are close to Jesus, how they responded to his death. And it shows their state of belief. It shows them in each scenario, Jesus meets them where they're at. And he renews their vision of him. That's pretty cool. So in our times of doubt or distress, it seems to be just we as people, you know, humans, we tend to look inward and become kind of fixed. We start to limit our thinking on what we know, our perception, and we, we tend to, in doing that, block out Jesus, forget Jesus. Looking to Jesus unlocks us. Amen. It allows us to see God, ourselves, and our surroundings with new vision. That's what this whole month has been about. If you're like, this is the same message, it's just like fourth time over, yes, are you listening? Are we listening? Right? Let's go to the scriptures here. John chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. What were her thoughts? That's crazy. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. What's the first thing on her mind? His body's gone somewhere, not he's resurrected, not he's back, not that he's fulfilled the scriptures. His body's gone. Panic. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the the tomb first. He bent over, looking at the strips of linen lying there, but didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him, went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as a cloth that had been wrapped up around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, so that's this evidence that this is a very deliberate act. This is not done in, like, haste, right? Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed, but, John puts this note in here, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So what they're saying is like, they saw that, okay, Jesus' body is gone from the tomb, but they st- it's not clicking. It's not clicking. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Okay. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. So like, how long does someone have to stay in there crying for you to be like, well, I'm just going to leave you here. We're going to go home. <laughs> when do you stay there with her? <laughs> like, well, it's getting dark. I don't know. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, why are you crying? And they, they've taken my Lord away, she said. I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. She didn't realize that it was Jesus. Interesting little detail there, John. What are you saying? So he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, just tell me where you put him, and I'll go get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. And I don't know if, like, here, look. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, Rabboni. Rabboni." Just him saying Mary, is it because of his, like, accent? Or, like, why him saying Mary? Something about that knowing is important there. Talking about flakes, right, Kay? That knowing there. Just saying her name. She was like, oh. Jesus said, Don't, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go inside to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples and, uh, with the news. I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. All right, we're halfway through chapter 20. You guys good? Yeah. Am I going too fast? Yeah. All right, we have, we, have, we have young folks in here with us. You guys holding on? Make it sense? Let's continue. (laughs) I don't even know what to say. (laughs) On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, the doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Hold on. Hold on to that. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said that, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And he breathed, He breathed, breathed, breathed on them. Words are hard. <laughs> and said, Receive the Holy Spirit, right? And, and those of you that are Bible nerds, what does the word for spirit also mean? Breath, right? Yeah, cool. Nice. All right. Sorry. Uh, If you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. And and just so you know, this is the story we're going to sit on with Thomas here. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I was reading a, a, another translation. is like, I will never believe. I'm like, he said never. You can't use that word, Thomas. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. The question, why wasn't he there the first time? Just think about that. I don't know. Though the doors were locked, they were still afraid, obviously. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, and like, it's like Thomas didn't even have to say anything. He already knew, right? He's just like, oh, Thomas, you're here this time. Come here. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord, my God. Now that's blasphemy. You're calling him God. He realizes who Jesus really is. Then Jesus told them, Because you have seen me and you've believed, blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in the Gospel of John, but they're written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. All right, thank, there we go. 20. Context is king, it's important. You know, John 20 is the high point, it's the climax of the Gospel of John. It is. Um, if we flip, flip with me to John 1, didn't we do this last time? We'd like flip to John 1? John 1 has a lot of implications for the rest of the Gospel. He's setting the tone and he has some themes there that you need to hold on to. John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And now you jump down to verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only God who is himself God, or I'm sorry, the one and only son who is himself God is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. What's the point of the gospel of John? Just from reading chapter 1 the word became flesh to make God known, right? To bring truth and light. Yeah. And then you see all of that language being flaked out through the gospel of John. I know I'm reaching to work in the word flake, but you're with me, right? Okay, so back to back to uh, 20. Chapter 20. Chapter 20 is a high point in the gospel. It's, it's demonstrating that That, what's supposed to happen according to chapter 1, has now happened in the disciples. That's the high point of the gospel. Mary discovers the empty tomb. She, the the context here, she she becomes swallowed in deep grief. Jesus visits her, visits her, and she believes. The ten, the, the ten apostles hear the news and respond with fear. Jesus visits them, and they believe. You know, in each encounter, we see Jesus coming to people in the middle of wherever they're at, grief, distress, doubt, fear, and he brings them peace so that they can see him as God's son, so that they can know God. Yes? You see it? You With know, Thomas, we see an image of someone who responds by digging in his heels and making an ultimatum. Okay. Yet, Jesus still draws near. So what can we learn from Thomas and Jesus? We're going in, guys. Right. This is session three of the workshop. You guys ready to do some work with me? Yeah. Let's go. First handle for today. The, the question is, in times of doubt, distress, where do we look to? First handle, inquire truth. Inquire truth. You know, our response to distress is to use our perception to assume what we don't yet know. Is that not true? Right? But this leads down a dangerous path that can lead us towards entrenchment, finite thinking, and division from people around us. That's why we must seek after the truth. You know, in each of those scenarios in chapter 20... There was a total lack of inquiry and an indulgence in their, in their own response, their own emotional, their own uh, default, yes? Mary, her response, Jesus is gone. Now, now I'm alone. I'm lost. This is the guy who pulled me out of my pit, if you know the story of Mary and Jesus. And that's why she's weeping so much and so hard. She's stuck there. She couldn't even see Jesus. The 10, Jesus is gone, and, and so now we're in danger. We wrote it out with this guy, and now we've put ourselves in a position where we're in, a, we're in danger. they got to lock the door. Thomas, Jesus is gone, and, and now there's no hope. There's no hope. How could these stories have gone if they had simply inquired truth, right? And Jesus works regardless. We'll talk about that at the end. Thomas displays it best, if A doesn't happen, then I will just never do B. (laughs) What? (laughs) You can't say that about Jesus. This is an example for us to consider how we respond to distress in our lives. How do you respond when you're faced with distress or doubt? You know, I think John is empathizing with us. We see this a lot in Scripture. Scripture is a mirror. That's what these are. These are pocket mirrors, right? Like, they're, that's what this is. John, John is empathizing with us because while we often think that we can handle things in the best way, we really just end up looking like Mary and, and Thomas and the other disciples. <laughs> right? Can we just be real for a second? Our instinct isn't to inquire deeper into that very thing that's distressing us and dig deep and let's find the truth. (laughs) That's not our instinct, what is our instinct? What do we do, what do you do? Run away. Run away, oh my God, thank you, yes. All right, run away, that's the one we're going with. We all respond in different ways. Do you know how you respond? I bet the people around you do, (laughs) ask them. Our, our, our instincts to shelter ourselves, protect ourselves, defaulting to what we know. Um, John, we're using Scripture to interpret Scripture. We're using John to understand John. Let's go to John 3. Okay. Did, did that make sense? Yes. Right? If we want to understand the Bible better, read more Bible. It, sheds, it all connects to each other. Thank you. John 3. Starting in 19, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Light and darkness are also symbols or, or point to truth and falsehood. Everyone who does evil hates the light will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed, but whoever lives by the, whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so it may be seen plainly that what they've done has been done in the sight of God. This idea that we just have to remember who we are as people, as humans, and our responses, and one another's responses, that we don't do a really great job. Historically, I'm talking about humanity, historically, we don't really do a great job at stopping and seeking the truth. (laughs) We do a, we we jump to that, hey, I got to, i I, I got to fill in the gaps with my own assumptions. i got to protect myself. I don't want to be around this. i got to run away, right? It's more comfortable to rely on assumptions based on our own perception than to expose ourselves to more distress in the process of seeking out truth. I'm just speaking to some really just universal human stuff. Do you feel that? Have you experienced that? And if you haven't, <laughs> you will, Right? You maybe have, and you just, you know, don't realize it. It is clear which is more painful in the long term, but the thing about humans is we operate on the short term. We'd rather have soup than an inheritance. We see a transformation in Thomas as things get increasingly difficult in the ministry of Jesus. It's time for more John. John. There's three places we can look in John to see about Thomas. Let's start in John chapter 11. We see a progression in John, his character portrayed. I'm sorry, Thomas's character portrayed in the Gospel of John. So in John chapter 11, verse six. That's not it. All right. Well, 14. That's the other one I have. 1116. I forgot the one. Thank you, Sam. Good looking out, Sam. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we might die with him. The first glimpse we have of Thomas is this dude that's just like bold. He's like, we're going with Jesus. We're going all out. He dies, we die. I'm in. Right? right. That's, the, that's the first we get of, of, of Thomas there. Now let's go to 14, chapter 14 of John. In verse 5, we might see something a little different. I want to see a different side of Thomas here. Thomas says to, to Jesus, Lord, we don't know the way you're going. How can we know the way? He responds to Jesus this time with not as much boldness, but with a little more pessimism. Like, but how? What's happening? And then we go back to the story we read, chapter 20. Verse 25, it's just straight up where he says, look, I'm not going to believe until I can actually see it and touch it. Wow. What's happening to Thomas here? Oh, my gosh, right? It appears that the more distressed Thomas undergoes, the deeper he might possibly be becoming Fixed on his uh, pessimism and his own doubt. Me too, Thomas. (laughs) I feel that, Thomas. That is just really real. We face the same problem as Thomas. The harder things get, the more we become fixed on our own way of thinking, our own ideologies, our own perception. But these things are not the truth. You know what is the truth? And I, I, I don't want you to get a paper cut. John 17, 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. That's Jesus praying in the garden. Your word is truth. Jesus is the word. He is the word embodied. God's word is truth. Jesus is truth. The bottom line with that, when you're on the receiving end of difficult circumstances, be aware. How many times have we we got to always talk about this. We can't stop talking. We can't afford to stop talking about this. Right. We we got to be aware of our own patterns yeah. and responses. That's right. We don't cave to those things. Be aware of them but don't cave to them. Right. Instead, inquire the truth. Yeah. So that brings us to our second and last handle. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. In order for us to receive that renewed vision that we've been praying about, we've been wrestling with this month together. We've got to take our focus off other things and look at Jesus. Looking at Jesus reminds us of who God is. Reminds us of God's promises. It reminds us of the goodness in God's law and teaching. It reminds us who we are. It reminds us of hope that we have. John 20, we see that those encountering distress and doubt are transformed when they see Jesus. For Thomas, though, seeing's not enough. He's got experience, he's got a touch right verse 29 I don't know why my pages flip there uh, okay verse 29 Jesus says because you've seen me you have believed blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed what does it mean to look at Jesus then because for some people, just seeing Jesus, looking at him like physically with eyeballs was enough for them to believe. <coughs> for people like Thomas, who's probably a lot more like us, they needed a little, something a little bit more concrete, tangible, right? And then Jesus makes a statement at the end. He's like, yeah, but blessed are those who don't even ever see me, and yet they still believe. What? What does it mean to look? Look, that word look, yes, it means to see. It means sight, but it also means to take heed. To know. It's kind of like when you say listen to me. It's not just hear these words, but like take heed of these words. Right? Let these words have impact on your life. I don't feel listened to. Really means I don't feel like I have influence on you. I don't feel like you're taking into consideration what I'm saying. Right? Okay? Just an example, kind of the same thing with see. To see something is more than just like my eyes landed on it, but it means to really take it in. John 9 is a perfect example of someone who looks at Jesus, and it's a blind guy. Yeah. But, he, but he heeds Jesus. He knows Jesus. Looking is really the act of giving our heart and attention to something. And I think we see that in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus talks about adultery. And he says, if you even look at a woman, you've committed adultery. I'm like, what does that mean? But if you think about looking as about giving your heart and attention to something, well, okay. That means something else, right? Yeah. Yeah. Matthew 6, verse—oh, we're leaving John. Come with me to Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> it's Jesus from another angle. <laughs> Matthew 6, verse 22. The eye is a lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? The eyes are the lamp of the body. What you look at is what you kind of become in some ways. I mean, in times of distress or doubt, what does it mean for you to look at Jesus? Right? Beyond the portrait on your wall, beyond the bumper sticker, I say that too much, I need a new line. But you know what I mean. The deeper things, the reflective things, the more meditative things. What are you giving your attention and heart to? As as we enter this post-pandemic world, as we grapple with these things, what are you giving your heart and attention to? Literally, our bodies, Move towards the things we're looking at. Yeah. Okay, try walking and looking at your cell phone. Well, some people are better at it than others. <laughs> but, I mean, wherever you look, wherever your head turns, wherever your eyeballs are, is where you tend to go. Driving, same thing. Don't try that to experiment, but just know that it, that's how it works, <laughs> right? Even non-verbals are super important. You look at someone that's sitting in a group or they're talking to someone, wherever their feet are pointed, wherever their head, like wherever they're looking, their feet point that way, typically. You don't see someone talking like this, but like, it's just, I'm just, you get the point? Where you look is where your body goes. Where you look is where you go. That's physically, literally, but also spiritually. When we look to other things for truth, in our times of distress, we, we consume whatever perception, ideology, or assumptions they contain. Wow. We just take it all in. Yeah. It becomes part of us. Yeah. Is that what Matthew 6 is talking about? Okay, now I'm really going to blow your minds. Luke 24. You're like, hey, we already did Luke this. Oh, that was last year. Ha <laughs> ha! Luke 24. Blast from the past. That's correct. He said to Luke 24 and verse 25, we had a message, we talked about this. Okay. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And at the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what all the scriptures said concerning themselves. Another place in verse 24, it says, he opens their minds to the scriptures. He opens their minds to the scriptures to the truth of the word. Jesus, the truth, the living word, opens our minds to help us see. When we lock ourselves up, in response to distress, Jesus unlocks us and enables us to have clear vision. How many of those people couldn't see Jesus in all the Gospels after the resurrection? They can't see Jesus. Although he's physically there, they don't recognize him until he meets them in a place of peace, meets them where they're at, and then they're able to see, see him. Does that make sense? Okay. Bottom line... Only Jesus can help us recover the truth in our times of distress and doubt, allowing us to receive that renewed vision. This is a long one. I, oh, here we go. Ready for the real, real? What's at stake if we don't get this? What's at stake here? If we don't wrestle with this, if we don't like really wrestle with this, inquiring the truth, looking at Jesus while we adjust to this post-pandemic way of life, we will inevitably be directed by humanistic ideals and agendas. Who are we? Is that us? To be directed by those things? Things close enough to Jesus? Jesus Jesus-ish? No, that's not who we are. I don't think any of us in here believe that. That's not who we are. We've got to do that hard work of wrestling, of unpacking. And maybe you, maybe you have, and maybe you have that figured out, but not all of us have. Right. Some of us are going to need time. It might be 2025. Can you stick it out with us? Can you show us grace? Can you stand there with us? Help us inquire the truth. Show us the truth. We must remember who unifies us. We must remember who we are as a community. And we must look to Jesus to guide our thoughts in communion. Just in case you don't have anything right now to think about in communion, one more thing. Verse 27 of John 20. Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Even if we mess it up, all of us in here, Jesus is still going to be there to show the world grace and reveal God. We cannot stop that. He's going to continue working. It's what the gospel's about. Here, Jesus knows Thomas, accepts Thomas, stays with him in his distress, allowing Thomas that space to take that extra step of investigation in order to have faith in him. This is the way of Jesus. Jesus, the grace abounder. Jesus, the space creator. Jesus, the empathizer. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we humble ourselves before you. And while this conversation, I know at times it's been exciting and we want to get the renewed vision, it's hard. I know I, did, I, I, know I hardly want to unpack those things in my heart and I know we as a community, it's, it's hard work But we trust in Jesus above ourselves. We trust in who you are We thank you for his way. Help us to remember his way today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. yourself in the sight of the Lord.